Father Frank Pavone has been a leader in the global pro-life movement for almost three decades, formally leading arguably the largest and most active religious pro-life organization in America. In that time, he has answered all sorts of questions regarding the role that Christians and Christian leaders play in making abortion unthinkable. And today, we ask him some of the most common questions that we hear on the streets. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we are doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to our defense. Hi folks, and welcome to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Cam, and those who have tuned in before are probably wondering, where is Peter Boss? Peter Boss, the incredible host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, is unfortunately unavailable because of his uh, very intense school schedule right now. And so myself, Cameron Cote, the co-host of the show, am taking on this episode in which I get to talk to a really, really cool guest. And yet, let's put that on pause just for a quick sec. For those of you who are new to the show, Welcome to the Pro-Life Guys. Um, myself and Peter, who is the, the host and, and normally joining us and normally facilitating conversation, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children in Canada and around the world. And this podcast is dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to effectively change minds, save lives, and transform our culture into one which thoroughly and completely rejects abortion in all situations. Couple of quick shout outs before we dive into the conversation. I want to draw your attention to our Patreon page. If you want to help us continue to grow as a podcast, gaining more and more people who are listening to this incredible content and getting more and more tools for how they can make an impact in their circles, please click on the link that you can find in our show notes to become a patron and help us reach even more people. Not only that, but also check out our other shows, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement and The Pulse, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement being a show where we feature the unsung heroes of the pro-life movement around the world, showcasing the defenders of the defenseless and The Pulse in which we highlight the important and interesting news from around the world as it relates to abortion from a pro-life perspective, because we as pro-lifers need to be sharing the stories um, that are near and dear to our hearts. And so check that out. But without further ado, let's talk about the incredible guest that I get to speak with today. Father Frank Pavone has been long on my list of pro-life heroes, and we have an opportunity. I keep saying we, but unfortunately today is just me um, talking to Father Frank Pavone. As I mentioned earlier, he has been leading um, Priest for Life. Um, an international pro-life organization dedicated to supporting not only priests, but also all Christian leaders and ultimately Christians, including seminarians and others um, in 
engaging the culture on this important issue of abortion. Father Frank Pavone is one of the most prominent pro-life leaders in the world. He's originally from New York. He was ordained a a Catholic priest in 1988 by Cardinal John O'Connor. And since 1993, he has served full-time in the pro-life movement uh, with his bishop's permission. He is currently the national director of Priests for Life, the largest pro-life ministry in the Catholic Church. He is also the president of the National Pro-Life Religious Council and the national pastoral director of Silent No More Awareness Campaign and of Rachel's Vineyard. He's an incredible guy. Um, And those two campaigns that I mentioned there, Silent No More Awareness Campaign and Rachel's Vineyard, those are the world's largest ministries for healing after abortion. Father Frank travels the world talking to people about the issue of abortion, engaging not only Christians, but also Christian leaders and how they can more effectively engage their culture. Um, Not only that, he produces programs regularly for um, both religious and secular radio and television networks. Um, He received the Proudly Pro-Life Award from the National Right to Life Committee in America and numerous other pro-life awards and honorary doctorates um, from across the country. Um, He has authored four books, including Ending Abortion, Not Just Fighting It, Pro-Life Reflections for Every Day, Abolishing Abortion, and Proclaiming the Message of Life. Norma McCorvey, even, the Jane Roe from the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade abortion decision, called Father Frank Pavone, and I quote, the catalyst that brought me into the Catholic Church. Father Frank is an incredible hero of mine. I know that Peter is very, very sad that he wasn't able to join for this conversation, but I really hope that you enjoy this conversation that I had with Father Frank talking about many of the most common questions that we get while talking to people on street corners, doorsteps, and even during church presentations that we give equipping Christians with the tools that they need to engage the public effectively. Many of those questions, Father Frank knocks them right out of the park. Please tune into this episode. Here we are. All right, Father Frank, thank you so, so much for joining us today on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Cameron. I'm doing well. It's good to be with you. Very, very good to have you. It's so exciting to to meet you and have you on the show. And I'm sure that many of our audience are very familiar with you and the ministry that you do through Priests for Life. Um, But for those who don't, if you could start us off a little bit with your journey towards uh, two things, I guess. One, towards the Priest for Life, but I, I suppose maybe even starting out, your journey towards the abortion issue itself. Obviously, there's so many different issues that um, Christians can can focus on. What was it that drew you to the abortion issue itself, and then from there to really take on the leadership of a group like the Priest for Life? Well, it all started when I was in high school. When I was a high school senior, I went to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And Mm. this was 1976, so it was only the third annual March for Life. But it was that event that woke me up to how big uh, the pro-life movement is and how important the abortion issue is. It was at that very same time that I was starting to feel a call to ministry and to go into seminary and to become a priest. So these two aspects of my calling were together right from the start. And I noticed, for example, at the March for Life, not only the numbers of people, but their dedication. It was a bitter cold day. I saw their diversity, people of all ages and ethnic and religious and political backgrounds and everyone coming together. And I also saw an interesting combination of joy and sorrow. And we see this in the pro-life movement all throughout 
the years and all throughout the, the diverse elements of the movement. We are deeply grieved at the killing of babies. It should be a daily burden of sorrow. And yet we're so joyful, we're so positive, we're so filled with hope. Why? Because we know that Christ has conquered death. So I always say to pro-life activists, we're not just working for victory, we're working from victory. Victory is our starting point. Now, all of this impressed me right from the beginning. And, and I said, this is a movement I need to get involved in. Just as I had said, as I began reading the Bible more and praying more, I said, this is a faith, this is a gospel that I need to proclaim to others. So my life was, was, was shaped by that. I went into seminary, got ordained to the priesthood. And as I was preaching in my first uh, church where I was assigned to the congregation about abortion, I saw such a positive and enthusiastic response that I started thinking, what if more clergy throughout the country were preaching consistently and courageously and clearly and compassionately on this issue? We could change this. So that led me to the idea of a Priests for Life, an, an, an organization that would have be clergy helping clergy to proclaim this message. I, I got that idea. Another priest had gotten that idea at the same time. We kind of joined forces. And by the time, oh, 1993 uh, rolled around, I came to the conviction that I needed to be doing this full time. I asked and received permission to do so and have been doing it ever since. And praise God for that. I, I am so, so encouraged by the work of Priests for Life in how they they empower the clergy, how they empower congregations, how they empower the movement. I, I think it's so, so exciting. And I I think often of my colleague, Jonathan Van Maren, the Van Maren Show. He had a wonderful episode with you talking about a lot of your experiences in the pro-life movement. And, and maybe we can touch on a few of those towards the end of the show. But for those listening, this show is all about how to have good conversations about abortion. And obviously, there's a lot of conversations that come up, Father Frank, that um, pivot around the Christian faith and the Christian worldview and Christians being involved in the movement. And in my notes, I've got three different areas that I'd love to pick your brain on for questions that I'm sure that you get all the time. And, and two that come from kind of the general public, before we get into the questions that we might get from somebody who's either sitting in the pew or leading a congregation, questions that we get from the public that I'd, I wonder for your kind of staple response. Why do Catholics care so much about abortion? There, there's so much commentary about like, oh, well, why, why does every priest have to talk about abortion? Why is the Catholic Church so focused on ending abortion around the world? I'm sure there's a million things that you could say to that. But if you were to, to kind of compress your answer down into a, a soundbite, as it were, what would you say to somebody who would challenge the idea of why do Catholics care so much about abortion? We root our faith in common sense. I mean, God has spoken to us in Christ. We have the Word of God, the Scriptures, and so forth. But, but all of that also it has roots in common sense. And Catholics and really people across the board look at this problem and say, you know what? There's nothing worse than killing babies. And there's nothing that takes more life than abortion. You, you just look at the facts of the situation. It's like, well, they look at it biblically. Can a mother forget her own child, be without mm. tenderness for, for the child of her womb? It's like God, God is thinking about what is the most unthinkable example <laughs> of faithlessness or, 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 or human abandonment. 
And he uses that relationship between a mother and child. You know, our, our natural instincts tell us this. I always say to people, there's one criterion that you need for being pro-life and only one. And that is mm-hmm. being alive. If the fact that we're alive makes us understand that life is good and that life mm-hmm. is to be preferred to death. So this is why, you know, in Catholicism being rooted in this um, basic awareness from human reason, starting with human reason, starting with science, uh, it has also been marked over the centuries by such a strong, clear, consistent teaching within mm. our church that uh, it has always been very much in the, uh, in, the, in the forefront of the moral issues that we have uh, addressed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you frame it that way, and I'm glad that that you bring up how this is something that, that the Catholic Church hasn't come to in the last 50 years. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll be against abortion, because why not? We don't have enough else to, to think about. Great book right. by a, a, a scholar named George Grant called Third Time Around, though not a Catholic yes. author himself, talking about how Catholics and Christians have fought against abortion for centuries, for since the foundation of Christianity. And so I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I'm glad that you you kind of touch on my second question that we sometimes hear from the culture as well, that this is just a religious issue, that it's just for Christians and for Catholics to be against abortion. And you touched on it, but maybe maybe expand a little bit on why it's not just a Christian or not just a Catholic issue. Yes, right, exactly. Well, even when you look at what the religious teaching is, Again, it starts with who is this baby? Uh, This is, I mean, science answers that question, and we're better able to answer that question now than we ever have been in human history. Mm -hmm. Ironically, during the last 50 years, uh, during which is the period of time where protection began to be removed from these children in the womb, we have learned more about them than we ever learned in all of human history. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the the visualization techniques, uh, uh, ultrasound coming about in seventies and eighties, and and now you know other methods of direct imaging of the child, mm-hmm. it's clear just from science who this baby is. It's clear what an abortion does to the baby, and uh, and it starts there. And in fact, it can end there for many people. I always say, you know, I use this example, Cameron. What if I stood on a street corner holding a, a, a picture of an aborted baby, okay, as I and, and you and so many of us have done, in fact, mm-hmm. right? What, but what if I were standing there and I didn't say a word and I didn't have any words on the sign, and I wasn't handing out any pamphlets, and I wasn't dressed like this, okay? (laughs) No indication of what my position is about abortion. All I'm doing is holding a sign showing what abortion does to a baby. What would people conclude? That I was opposing it or that I was selling it? Mm -hmm. Which would they conclude? People would conclude, oh, that guy's protesting abortion. How do you know that? Maybe I'm there holding that sign showing abortion because I'm advertising what the clinic down the street is doing. I, you don't know that from my words, mm-hmm. right? But people would, would conclude that I'm opposing it. Why? Because reason and our basic human instinct tells them so. Mm-hmm. They look at that and they say, this is horrible. This is terrible. Well, if it's so terrible... You know, I don't even have to tell you that, do I? You know, just the picture shows you the fact. So uh, this, of course, is something that um, shows us why this is not simply a religious issue. We have to be able to make the arguments from human reason, from science, from basic philosophy, 
really from, from a lot of other angles, just employing human reason, from sociology, from the impact on health. Mm. You know, what has abortion done to women's health, uh, to the health of families, to the health of society? You can go through a, a hundred questions just from the point of view of reason and come to the conclusion that it's not a good thing to be killing babies by abortion. Now, having said that, and we emphasize that very strongly here at Priests for Life, one has to avoid the 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 other end of the uh, of the spectrum here uh, of those who who would totally put religious arguments aside and say, oh well, you know, you don't want to be talking about the Bible or you don't want to be talking about God when you talk about abortion. Wait a second, there is an awful lot of people whose life revolves around the Bible. Praise God. Mm-hmm. There's an awful lot of people uh, in 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 Canada, in America, around the world. Who, who are deeply fervent believers in God and followers of Christ. To ignore the religious arguments against abortion is ignoring a very powerful appeal to be made to these people. And what we hear from the religious arguments, of course, strengthens and reinforces what we know from human reason. We know that our human reason is 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 weak and it's 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 uh, can easily be deceived uh, and we can fool ourselves so very easily mm-hmm. and that's where we need the light of God's word and revelation mm-hmm. to keep us on the narrow path. Amen. Amen. I, I think that's so good for people to realize. And and this is, I mean, it's important because it's not just secular folks who are having abortions. Obviously, we need to speak to our own congregations. We need to speak to Christians and and change their minds on abortion. But even in that, I, I love being able to share with people that in many ways, the Bible isn't a biology textbook. It, it's not, though there are beautiful passages that, that dovetail perfectly with the biological evidence that you mentioned that is so available to everybody right now, that the Bible, the reason there's so many Catholics and Christians involved is not because we have unique information, but rather because we have a very direct calling to do something when we see injustice. And, and that's what I'd love to move into now about how do we mobilize people in our churches, because when we look statistically even at the number of people in our churches, and I know that this is what um, you and your organization, Priest for Life, have dedicated so much of your time and energy towards mobilization, education of clergy and congregations and whatnot, that if we are able to successfully mobilize Christians, if we're able to mobilize them into engaging their friends, their family, their neighbors in conversations, um, then we are going to be able to move incredibly quickly towards a society in which abortion is unthinkable. And yet a question that we often get, and I'm sure that you get it very frequently, is about whether or not the the frequency that um, clergy, pastors, and priests are speaking about abortion in their church. And, and for many, myself included, I have had some very, very good pastors who have spoken very frequently about abortion, but I'm sure, and I know that there are many who don't have that experience. And so why would you say that there are some pastors and priests that don't speak very frequently about abortion? And what does Priest for Life do to try to help them speak more frequently and more fervently and more passionately about the issue of abortion? You know, when I uh, give seminars to clergy, sometimes the, the, the pastors will ask me, uh, well, how often are you saying I should preach about this? I look at them and I, I ask them a question. I said, well, how often would you preach if we were in a, in a situation where every day thousands of teenagers were being rounded up and beheaded 
every single day. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I mean, would you really? Would you? I mean, I, I, and I asked them, answer that question for yourselves and then ask, how is abortion different? Mm. Because in reality, it isn't. It's a human being and mm. it's thousands of human beings being, being put to death every day. We're living in the middle of a Holocaust. So that's got to mm. frame this whole question as like, oh, well, you know, am I talking about it too much? Am I talking about it too little? Am I too forceful about that? Some of us are told, people, priests like me who put this front and center and, and some of us privileged to just devote our whole lives and mission uh, to this uh, issue. Uh, you know, I, I've been told, hey, Father Frank, you know, you know, you're too aggressive against abortion. And I, my response, and even church leaders have said this to me, and my response to them has been, okay, well, as soon as abortion stops being so aggressive on these little babies, uh, then you come back and talk to me about being aggressive on abortion. So that's, I think, how we have to frame it. Now, what, how does that translate into practice? Obviously, the, the pastor uh, it needs to be addressing the, uh, a whole range of problems and a whole range of uh, issues. But many of these pastors uh, simply don't realize the impact abortion is having on their congregation. They might think it's not happening among their congregation. They might think it, 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 the wound is, isn't there. And that's why one of the things we do to, to awaken and mobilize them, and I would encourage people to use this on an individual basis too, is to show these pastors the testimonies of those who have had abortions. Uh, and that ties into a big part of our work at Priest for Life, which is the Silent No More campaign and Rachel's Vineyard. Uh, these are two massive international healing movements that are inter intersected with one another. Uh, Rachel's Vineyard retreat programs based on the Word of God that bring people to healing after they've had abortions. And Silent No More, those among the people who are healed who feel called to share their stories and and reflect Mm -hmm. their testimonies to others. This is a great tool for the pastors because it appeals Mm -hmm. to, you know, every pastor has that, strives to have that, that heart of a good shepherd. You know, let me take care of my people, the good shepherd binding up the wounded, as scripture tells us. And um, if we present this to them from the point of view uh, of, you know, your congregation is wounded and they're looking to you for hope and healing, that's a beautiful entry point that will help some of these pastors who, you know, they just might simply be afraid of addressing controversial issues. Uh, This will help them wade into the waters in a way that they see as very consistent with their pastoral calling. Mm, yeah, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. We have such a good relationship with Silent No More here in Canada through a lot of our outreach that we do on Street Corners. Such a beautiful mission, such beautiful people who are involved. The, the courage that it takes to share your testimony um, about such a personal and such a difficult and such a grave issue of, of abortion. I, I cannot commend them enough at Silent No More. And, and I think that you touch on a very, very good point there that, that some pastors and priests just feel unprepared to have that conversation. They look at this and they say, okay, well, if I preach on abortion, then I'm going to have these people who have experienced abortion coming and, and asking me for healing and help. And I don't know how to give that to them. And I'm going to have people coming to me and, and asking about this and that and, and, and all those sorts of things. What kind of preparation, what kind of education is available to priests and, and maybe even seminarians as they're um, on their journey towards priesthood um, to 
to prepare themselves to really, really encounter those wounded, people who are curious with more information, what, what information, what resources are available for them? Yes. Well, we have a, 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 a main website called endabortion.us. And on that website, you will find that there's a section specifically for clergy. Uh, there's a section specifically for healing after abortion, two areas that we're talking about now and, and how they intersect. And they will find there a great starting point. Uh, I've written a number of books. Uh, one of them is uh, geared towards how to preach on abortion. And it takes, um, it takes all the Sunday readings, as a matter of fact. Many denominations use a common lectionary and all the readings assigned mm -hmm. for each Sunday. I comment on them and how the preacher would, would develop pro-life themes from those readings. So we've got resources like that. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Teresa Burke, who, who founded Rachel's Vineyard, is a member of our pastoral team. On these websites, you'll find her books and her articles uh, that talk about the, uh, the damage abortion does to a mom, to a dad, to siblings, to the whole family. Really critical insights that pastors need to have. Uh, because they're encountering it every day. They might not know of the connection between abortion and the problems that they're encountering in the, among the families in their congregation. But that connection is there. An overprotective mm -hmm. mom, a mom who's afraid to get pregnant, uh, someone who's abusing their child, a uh, breakup of marriages, uh, young people who seem to be just disconnected from life and they're not interested in anything. These are some of the symptoms that can easily be traced back to uh, abortion and its its effects and, and many others too. Substance abuse, risk-taking mm -hmm. behavior, suicidal behavior. Uh, we, have, we have only begun to scratch the surface of how much damage abortion does. In fact, it's a Canadian psychiatrist, a good friend of, of ours here at Priests for Life, Dr. Philip Nay, who has done more mm. research on the impact of abortion than anyone else. And he sums it up very simply by saying, Nothing is more destructive of the family than abortion. Pastors need to know that. They'll be able to find all that out on our multiple websites. But again, the umbrella site is endabortion.us. US. Fantastic. I, I really hope that that for those clergy who are listening to the show and for, for you who are attending churches, that you'll be able to get your clergy there because th this is obviously so, so important. And I'm glad that you mentioned just how why the ripple effects are. And I know that shockwaves is a theme that, that Silent No More has talked about very frequently. And I, I know that I've shared this on, on other uh, podcast episodes as well, but I always think of this encounter that I had um, doing one of our choice chain displays, showing the reality of abortion on a, a street corner in downtown Toronto. And this woman, she was probably in her, her late 50s. She came up to me just in tears. And, and the first thing that she said was, I knew it. And, and I had no idea what, what she was getting at. She said, um, a long time ago, I became pregnant and I knew that I was pregnant with a human being. But my doctor, my boyfriend, my family all pushed me towards abortion and I couldn't prove it to them. And I have been in and out of rehab ever since. And I've never been able to pinpoint why I started sp spiraling down um, into drug habits and alcohol abuse and all this sort of thing. And then she realized that it was all traced back to abortion within within the span of a 20 minute conversation, something like that. And 
Wow. Thankfully, she was able to connect with our, our colleagues at Fountain Amore and, and get involved with um, a Rachel's Vineyard Retreat. And, and I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, of how deeply this impacts so many different people and in so many different ways. The last one that I was going to ask with regards to the mobilization of the clergy, before we get into the mobilization of Catholics and, and Christians throughout um, the world, when it comes to public outreach, a lot of a lot of the conversations that I have with priests and pastors is with regards to um, empowering their congregation. But I, I also want to invite them to join us as well on street corners, talking to people about abortion, that yes, it's not solely up to the clergy to go out and change people's minds on street corners and on doorsteps. But obviously that's something that you have done and that, that Priests for Life have been very involved with mobilizing priests, not only within the confines of their church building, but also even getting out and getting active, whether through 40 Days for Life, whether through other outreach-style campaigns. What are your thoughts on the role that clergy have and the importance of them personally attending a 40 Days for Life campaign, personally attending a March for Life with their congregation or other outreach events, the impact that they can have in doing that? You know, one of the most common temptations for clergy is to underestimate the power of their own word and witness. We underestimate it. Uh, we, we, we lack confidence sometimes in that. So, so first of all, the obligation itself, we're all human. And so being a member of the clergy does not take away basic human rights and human obligations that you have. And so I say to them, first of all, participating in these events, because you as a human being are speaking up for your brothers and sisters in the womb. Uh, secondly, then, that, that, uh, that strengthens us in our own convictions. Whenever we go out on a march, on a witness, on a prayer vigil, or holding signs, we are strengthening those convictions that we have to nurture and strengthen within ourselves because the world is so uh, intent on erasing those convictions from our hearts. And then, of course, the third element, that that priest being present there at those events himself or other pastors being present is such a tremendous encouragement to the people. And this is where they, they, they vastly underestimate the power that they, that they have. I remember, for example, um, a woman who... I helped come out of the abortion industry. She ran six abortion facilities uh, in the southern um, uh, states in uh, the United States. And she, uh, she said, you know, she said, when people prayed outside of our, of our clinics, business went down. And we knew it was going to be a bad day when we saw those pro-life people there. But when a priest stood out there, we knew it was going to be a very bad day. Mm. The impact is there, and it's real. Uh, and the people are encouraged to, to no end. So uh, this is where, uh, these are a few of the things that we remind the pastors about in this regard. Mm, yeah, and, and I've seen this play out even in my own life. I, I think I've, I've been very involved with the, the 40 Days for Life campaign here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where I live. And and as is so often the case, and I'm sure that, that it's the case for a lot of other vigils, that it, it can be tricky to get out three or four people at any given time at, at times. And yet, when when a pastor comes on, I think of a, a good friend of mine, Father Jonathan, came out, and he had 30 or 40 people come for the same hour that he was there just because they they wanted to be there at the same time as him, not because he was doing anything 
particularly special or different than other people would be doing when our, our bishop, um, Bishop William McGratton came out. I, th- I think it was close to 100 people where we're like filling the, and we have these crazy bubble zones in, in Canada where you're only allowed four people within a certain area of the clinic and, and everyone else has to set up way further away. But people just flock to these vigil sites, to these campaigns, to the March for Life, when they know that their pastors can be on the bus with them, or when they That's know right. that their bishop is going to be there speaking. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Changing gears a little bit into mobilizing the church, mobilizing the people sitting in the pews and the congregations and whatnot, and questions that can come up from those people as well. Um, what what tools can can you suggest? So we've talked a little bit about how to um, help pastors speak a little bit more fervently and frequently on the issue. What what tools would you have, whether it's in a homily or or in um, different programs that you have a church running that actually mobilize people to get out and get more active, not just internalizing the pro life message themselves, which is is desperately needed as as we've talked about but also getting out there and having boots on the ground for those campaigns on doorsteps and on street corners. What, what advice would you give to a pastor who does really want to make sure that they're actually getting out there? Maybe they speak about abortion somewhat frequently and people nod along, but aren't necessarily getting out and, and making a, an impact in their workplace, in their neighborhood. What, what would you encourage them with? Yes. Well, first of all, of course, you mentioned about, about 40 days for life and, uh, I was privileged to be part of uh, the initial uh, launching of that, actually, mm. from a local effort to a, to a nationwide and international effort. And that is one of the great ways, because of the fact of how structured it is, uh, as you know, and how, how, how easy it is for a person to feel safe. Uh, look, I'm part of this structure. I'm part of this group. Mm. We have an exact way of doing it, and there's clear boundaries. Uh, and, and this is something, of course, that churches can easily participate in and, and, and end up mobilizing their people to do. Another very basic thing is uh, letting everybody know and urging everybody to have at their fingertips the information that you need to connect a person with alternatives to abortion. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example... Pregnancycenters.org is a website run by Heartbeat International, a network of pregnancy centers around the world, thousands of them. And people just knowing that little website or knowing the hotline number that goes along with it in various countries or, or knowing the, the, uh, the, the, the places where people can go for healing after abortion this is a one of the most important things when we talk about mobilizing the congregation. Does everybody know what to say if a friend comes to them and says, I'm pregnant and I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm thinking of having an abortion. Everyone needs to be able to know where to, where to direct that person. And uh, to, to check out PregnancyCenters.org, see the vast array of resources that's available, connect with the local pregnancy center uh, closest to where you live. This is where churches can... Bring their congregations to the pregnancy center and bring someone from the pregnancy center into the church to talk about the different services they offer. This is, a, this is like step one. This is so basic because everybody can save a life. The, the tragedy that so many lives are being taken by abortion every day is, is met by the fact that that means it's never been easier to save a life. And to, to alert the congregation and, and to make them feel like, okay, now I know what to say. 
pregnancycenters.org, and then abortionforgiveness.com, uh, mm. where people can, in a similar way, find the healing program closest to where they live if they need to, the, that kind of counseling and healing after abortion. For everyone in the congregation to know how to do that is key. Then this whole question leads to uh, a third big area of involvement, which is so necessary, and that's political involvement. Churches can do so much, and we have a whole a whole sector of our ministry dedicated to fostering political responsibility of the churches and of the people in the congregation to take part in voter registration drives, to distribute literature about candidates, to take people to the polls when voting time comes. Uh, all of these are perfectly, first of all, they're perfectly legitimate activities uh, for the church to do. Uh, these can be done in a nonpartisan way. And secondly, they're so essential for the pro-life cause, because otherwise we're just involved in, in wishful thinking. If we say to God, you know, oh Lord, please bring an end to abortion, well, if, if, if we want to protect these babies, we need laws that are going to protect the babies. If we want good laws, we got to elect the right lawmakers. Now, I know our situations are different in the United States and, and, and Canada. In Canada, you have no law related to abortion. And here we have, we've got plenty of laws and some of them are pretty bad. Uh, but some of them provide some limits and some boundaries and some protections to the unborn child. People need to be involved in also lobbying efforts. I mean, there's, a, there's electing the right lawmakers, and then there's talking with them once they're in office. And sometimes parishes and churches, they'll take their congregation along with their pastor to visit with the legislators, to go to the state house. Mm. This is an extremely valuable activity to get involved in and a great educational activity for our youth as well. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you mentioned the youth as well, because I've seen a few um, different churches that will do this in different ways for their youth and young adults programs and for their men's groups and for their women's groups and really trying to mobilize every everyone that at times I've, I've found that if it's just spoken in a single area, then, then this idea of like distributive responsibility where, okay, well, as long as somebody here talks to the local politician, then that's all that we need. But yeah, mobilizing everybody and finding different ways for people to get involved um, in that political process, because I, I can't agree with you more that while we absolutely, I mean, we often talk about the pro-life movement as having these three collaborative arms. You've got the pastoral, the prophetic, and the political arms of the movement. And all three of them have to work together. All three of them we need growth in if we're going to see an end to abortion. But we absolutely can't forget about the political realm. And I think that that's something that Christians, especially within within the church construct, will say, oh, well, that well, church and state should be separate and all this kind of thing that, that, that the church shouldn't, shouldn't be getting involved in that. I, I think that that's a really good um, encouragement for actually mobilizing people. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, Cameron, in relation to that objection that many people make, if you separate the church from politics, you know what you end up with? A godless politics and an irrelevant church. And unfortunately, mm. that's the mess we've gotten ourselves into. Church and politics, the church and the state have their respective roles. The church does not deliver mm. the mail. It doesn't have a standing army. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, it doesn't pass laws. And the state does not appoint your pastor or decide what readings are going to come from the scriptures on Sunday. They have their respective uh, duties. But when human rights are at stake, and especially when the political arm 
starts depriving human beings of those rights, now you're, you're getting into the arena where, where the church must speak up and stand up and play its role, which is to defend uh, human beings made in the image of God. So this uh, church and state, religion and politics, definitely <laughs> mix. Not only do they mix, they're joined in various mm. essential ways because when the church speaks about human beings, human dignity, human rights, and human salvation and morality, well, these are the same human beings that are citizens of the state as our members of the church. We're not two different people. We're the mm. same people living in both arenas. Bingo. Bingo. Um, to build on that then, so a, an interesting question that, that I've gotten on a number of situations, and I'm sure that you have as well. So going into an election, this played out, I, I think, most prominently in Canada um, in 2011, 2012, when we had the Stephen Harper against Justin Trudeau. I know that it's played out in the States with the Joe Biden or Barack Obama against Donald Trump, or not Barack Obama, I guess, um, Hillary Clinton. This idea of but I don't like the pro-life candidate quite so much, or I, I disagree with some of their other policies or principles. This happens on the local, regional, and national level on countless occasions. This idea of Christians saying, but I don't agree with all of their policies. Why should I prioritize abortion as, but they're pro-life, therefore I have to go on that route, even if I wouldn't want them to babysit my children, even if I don't agree with all of their other policies. What would your um, kind of, response be to to somebody who said, you know what, as, as a Christian, I don't agree with all of their other policies. Do I really have to vote for a pro-life politician, even if I don't like them? They don't seem as friendly. They don't seem quite as um, as nice as it were as, as a non-pro-life candidate. What would your encouragement be to, first of all, either, I'm sure at times clarify just how um, sound other policies are. But even if there's unsound policies on other issues, why is abortion the biggest issue that Christians should be aware of on the political spectrum? Because the right to life is the core of every issue. And this is what people have mm. to appreciate. If you get it wrong on abortion, you cannot be right on any other issue. You might be saying the right words about the other issues. But your position has collapsed <laughs> as soon as you deny that there is a right to life that every, every person has that does not come from government. It comes from God. And that government, therefore, mm. must protect that life. It's not a choice that a court has or that a, a legislature has or that a governor or president have. It's, they don't have the choice whether or not to protect those lives. It's inherent in the very role of government that it must protect those lives. So let's take a, a, a politician who says, no, no, I'm, I'm pro-choice. I, I, I think that abortion should be allowed. Well, then how on earth can you say you care for the poor? Because if you take the life of that child in the womb or you allow it to be taken, you've taken away their food and clothing and shelter. You've taken away their opportunity to work. You've taken away their right to vote, their right to immigrate. You've taken away their education. You've taken away everything. The, the interdependence of the rights that we have needs to be looked at. Now, the American Catholic bishops have, have done a beautiful writing about this very topic, and it's called Living the Gospel of Life. And in that document, they use the image of a house. They say, look, we all know that there are many issues. Of course there are. And we have to be active. In, in all of these, these issues to the extent that we can. 
All the issues are interrelated, like the pieces of the parts of a house. You've got the cross beams, the roof, the walls, the windows, the doors. But you also have the foundation. Now, if the foundation goes away or is weak, the whole house can collapse. And the foundation, the bishops go on to say, is the right to life. Unless government recognizes that there is a foundational right here protecting all the others, in fact, giving meaning to all the others, and protects that, they're not going to be able to make progress on any of the other issues, even if they're saying the right things. So we've got, for example, again, in our country, you know, these Democrats, you're standing up. They're always going to stand up and say, oh, we're fighting for the most vulnerable in our society. And meanwhile, we're pro-choice. No, you're not fighting for the most vulnerable. You are ignoring them. You're killing them. And you're, you're therefore failing everybody else. Uh, because, again, you're mm. taking the heart and soul out of every issue. You're taking the foundation out of this beautiful house of human dignity that government is supposed to protect. That's why, philosophically, uh, a voter needs to, needs to begin. It's not, it's not, oh, this is the only issue. Again, it's the core of mm. every issue. So you begin with the determination not to kill, not to allow the killing. Because if a government allows the killing, there's another factor to be thinking about. You change the type of government that you have. It now becomes, and here I want to invoke the words of, of, of Pope John Paul II, the state becomes a tyrant state when it decides that it can allow an act of violence against an innocent person. You change the very nature of government. And uh, that's more than a single issue. That's, that's the whole ballgame. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't help but think of the words of, of St. Um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta talking about if, if a mother can kill her child, then what is there to stop me from killing you? Like once you've sacrificed that, once you're, it's okay to kill the weakest, most vulnerable, we see this played out whether in politics or even just in society, the objectification of other human beings, all of this and, and I think, as we've talked about, how it all traces back to abortion. And if we can objectify literally the weakest and most vulnerable members of the human family, then why, why, wouldn't, why, why would we stop there? Why wouldn't we go to people who are better capable of defending themselves? Why wouldn't we go to people who um, we, we disagree with on other issues and that kind of thing and dehumanize them as well, dehumanizing the entire human family. I mean, we, we see this played out. I'm, I'm sure you guys see it all the time. And, and it's something that gets played out of this idea of we're just, um, just robots sort of thing. As soon as you dehumanize any humans, then everyone gets dehumanized. And then right. um, the idea, the concept even of basic human rights becomes even more challenging to convey. And, and you know, Cameron, it's so easy when it comes to this. It's so easy to fall asleep. I mean, I mean what I mean is, you mm. know, like you said, people will say, oh, but I don't like this candidate or I don't like that one or I don't like his behavior. Right. Wait a second. Imagine the scenario where you've got candidate A and candidate B and candidate A is going to say to you, I'm going to make sure your life is protected. And candidate B is actually saying, I'm going to take protection away from you. You're not going to care for one moment, which is the nicer guy. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. who the nicer guy is. It's who's going to keep you safe? Who's going to protect your life?
Yeah. And, and I think it traces back and, and that can be extended to what we even talked about earlier of trotting out the toddler or those teenagers sort of thing. Like if, would we ever say that about a politician who says, you know, I got the best policy on immigration and clean water and education, but I, I'm going to completely support slaughtering thousands of two-year-olds every single day sort of thing. Yeah. And like, that, that, that's not how it works. That <laughs> simply isn't how right. it works when it comes to killing born humans. And if it's not okay, regarding born humans, why pre-born humans. I think that's so important. Um, as we start, as so a, a couple more questions before we get into maybe a few of your, your experiences and memories within the pro-life movement. One question that comes up, and we've touched on it very briefly today already. So this idea of abortion victim photography, showing the reality of what abortion does to pre-born children. Um, there's obviously a lot of Christians that, that feel uncomfortable, and, and I would argue rightly so, with images of preborn children who've been killed by abortion because it's horrifying to think that these children were abandoned so, so completely that they were killed. What, what would you say to Christians who say, oh, well, Christians shouldn't be using abortion victim photography because that's not what Jesus would do. Jesus is this nice guy who just is so loving and, and he wouldn't do something like this. What role would you say that abortion victim photography plays in the education of our world, I suppose? Well, first of all, I would say to them, how, how in the world do they know that Jesus wouldn't do that? Uh, Jesus was, was, came into the world to bear witness to the truth, he said. That was his, his very mission. He wasn't afraid to upset people. If, if people think that Jesus was just nice and, oh, he would never do anything to upset people, go back and read the Gospels again. Uh, Paul, furthermore, in, in the letter to the Ephesians, if we want to see what is the, the Christian mindset here about, about evil, especially evil that is hidden, because that's the... That's the only way the other side gets away with this, right? I mean, the only way you can get away with, with, with funding and, and, and continuing a legal holocaust is if you hide what's going on. And that's exactly what, what, what Planned Parenthood and these, all these other abortion uh, uh, pro uh, profiteers are doing. Paul says to the Ephesians, have nothing to do with the fruitless works of darkness, but rather expose them, expose them. That's what we do when we show people the reality of abortion. Why would, would anything about being a Christian limit us from sharing the truth with another person, especially the truth that would make an impact for them on choosing right from wrong, good from evil? Uh, this is point number, number one. And secondly, the fact that we see that it is, it is, it is an advocacy for that child. That child can't make himself or herself known. They can't do anything to bring attention to themselves. Although pregnant moms might say, oh yeah, they bring attention when they kick, you know. Yeah, they have their ways. But 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 the fact is that, you know, they they are so defenseless, we've got to be their voice and we've got to be their their image. They're unseen, although modern technology has so very much changed our and improved our ability to see them. But nevertheless, in everyday experience, they're not seen. Oh, yeah, my baby is inside of me. Oh, where is he? Where is he? You can't see, see the baby. Uh, and, and this is where it's a prophetic role. 
It's a role very consistent with what we see throughout Scripture, when those who are on the outskirts and pushed to the side and hidden are are brought by the prophets, by our Lord himself. They're brought front and center. Uh, I often preach about how Jesus eliminated false barriers. You know, the apostles didn't want the the children being brought to him. He said, no, no, let them come. The the kingdom of God belongs to, to them. Zacchaeus up in the up in the tree. He, he goes to him. He points him out. The blind Bartimaeus. Everyone was telling him to shut up. Jesus says, "No, no. What do you want me to do for you?" He's always going to the people that he's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. He's talking with the woman at the at the well. The apostles were amazed. Why is he talking to this woman? He's always going to those who are on the fringes, on the outskirts, mm. and shining a light on them and saying, these people matter more than you think they do. These people are important. And then, of course, we, we, we go to St. Paul again, and, you know, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And we can say there's no born or unborn. All mm. are one in Christ. All are called to be uh, equally given the benefits of life and salvation. So those are some of the perspectives on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I think that's so good for Christians to be aware of. And, and even considering as we come into, at the time of recording, coming into Holy Week here, and, and as we start to think maybe maybe a little bit more intentionally about the the death and resurrection of Jesus, I mean, if if we truly believe that God is all-powerful and sovereign over everything, and he could have chosen to redeem humanity in any way that he saw fit, he chose to be crucified on one of the most public hills in that area. If we don't think that Jesus would support the idea of putting an injustice on display, he put the, the ultimate injustice, deicide, killing God, on display for people to be aware of. And this is something that, I mean, Peter talks about in in Acts of the Apostles and and challenging people very directly of, we killed Jesus, the Jews killed Jesus, and not as an accusation or condemnation, but rather as information so that we can make better choices moving forward. And I think that that really resonated with me the first time I heard that of, of, yeah, God could have chosen anything, but he chose this, I suppose. He chose a very visible way of redeeming the world. Mm. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. Uh, we hear during mm. these holy days. Um, and it, just as the Son of Man was lifted, uh, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, anyone who looked upon the serpent was healed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't magic. It was foreshadowing the faith in Christ, right? So it was, but mm-hmm. it was looking. And you know, and so Jesus on the cross... You know, those who behold, those who look upon the Son of Man and believe. So looking at, seeing, and believing are very, very closely related concepts in Scripture. So Jesus makes his, his, his crucifixion public so that looking upon him whom they have pierced, we might believe and be saved. And there is an analogy there to what we're trying to do for, uh, for the unborn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is fantastic, Father Frank. I, I deeply, deeply appreciate all this time. I, I, um, I could keep on asking you questions for the rest, <laughs> the rest of the day, I suppose. Just as we wind up, I, I, you have had a, a nearly three-decade career doing pro-life ministry with the Priest for Life, um, your, your priesthood um, for almost four decades, I believe. In that time, you have met some of the most incredible people within the movement, not only politicians and pro-life leaders like Joe Scheidler, but also people like St. John Paul II, St. Mother Teresa. If you could think of a few of the most memorable experiences that you've had over, over this ministry that you've been privileged to be a part of, 
what what stands out to you? What interactions, what people stand out to you um, most prominently, I guess? Yes. Well, Mother Teresa, you know, she and I spoke a lot about uh, abortion and pro-life strategy. And I remember talking to her after we um, we had had this law passed in America about, well, you can't blockade an abortion facility, mm. you know, even peacefully. She said, wow. She said, if we had that law here in India, I would have been thrown in jail many times, she said, because I go to the places where the, 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 the babies are killed here. And, and I take the, the mothers by the arm and I pull them away. And you imagine how Mother Teresa, when she was so short, you know, imagine this little nun pulling away a woman from an abortion facility. But it was the pulling of, of hope to replace despair. Mm. She would say to them, come, come with us, come. Our sisters will help you and your baby. And, you know, just it was so striking to see her. I mean, she was moving her arm. I pull them away. That presence, that that personal, physical presence to those in need, it was at that moment that I realized that what she was so well known for doing, picking up the starving and dying from the streets of Calcutta, you think, put those two images together in, in your in your mind, here she is holding a, a sick person on the streets of Calcutta. Here she is at an abortion clinic, literally pulling a woman away. It's the same thing. It's the same spirit. It's the same love. Mm. This is the lesson. It's the same lesson for all of us. If we're going to help and serve and love our brothers and sisters, well, as again, as Scripture says, we can't love the God we, we don't see if we cannot love the brother or the sister that we do see. So that was a beautiful moment from, with, with, with Mother Teresa. John Paul II was just such a, 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 a fatherly and encouraging figure. I mean, I, I spoke with him so many times. There was never a time that I came away from speaking with him, even if it was a very brief encounter, that I didn't feel like I was on top of the world. You know, you, get, you have this mm. sense of, wow, <laughs> affirmation. Here is a man who said, go defend life. You know, uh, so many times he would say to me, uh, you know, bless your, your, your apostolate for life. You know, and he would always say it with a, mm. as if he were at a rally. You know, he's saying it with the enthusiasm uh, that we all need to have for, for pro-life. Um, Mother Angelica is another, another saintly mm. person I came to know. And many know her through the Eternal Word television network. And Mother Angelica told me, I, I asked her one day, you know, how do you do great things for, for God? And, she, and this was the, the, the main thing she said was, go through the door he opens for you today. Don't worry if you don't have a, a five-year plan that you know exactly what other doors are or are not going to open. So many people, she said, don't take the opportunity they have to do good today simply because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The only thing we know for sure is, here's what I can do right here and now. And so she said, have the courage to do that. And if she didn't have that attitude, she would have never been able to start the Eternal Word Television Network. She would have never been able to get a square one because she didn't have the money. You know, she didn't have the know-how. And yet she saw opportunities. She would go through those doors. I think we need to do the same thing in the pro-life effort. The little thing you can do today, brothers and sisters, do it. Don't let anybody hold you back from doing what you know is right and what you've got the opportunity to do now. 
Beautiful, beautiful. And I'm sure there's countless more stories from the incredible people that you've had the opportunity to to work with. Um, people even like Dr. Bernard Nathanson, people like Norma McCorvey, people who have come into the pro-life movement after being part of the pro-abortion movement, all that sort of thing. But that might be for another episode. As we wind up here, so we we have audiences, um, people from in our audience from around the world, Canada, America, Europe, um, South America, um, I'm from all the continents, I, I think that we we have registered um, audience members from around the world. If their pastor, if their priest wanted to learn more, you've talked about the website. If they wanted to have somebody for priest from Priest for Life come and maybe do a, a mission at their church or, or give a presentation, where do they find you? Where do they find out more about Priest for Life? Yes. So once again, it's endabortion.us, and uh, we have the ability there for people to request speakers. Uh, to request more resources, uh, to answer, uh, ask questions and get them answered, uh, or simply to interact with our team to find the healing that we talked about, all these different things, political activism. And we love the fact that you've got an international audience. This is a worldwide battle, and we all need to stand together in this across the globe. So I appreciate our international uh, uh, audience. And uh, once again, endabortion.us will be able and be eager to help you. Wonderful. And the last thing, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I know that we have an ecumenical audience. I know that not everyone even in our audience is Christian. Um, however, coming into this Easter season, I'm wondering if you can finish this show off with something of an Easter blessing for all those who are um, tuning in and just sending people into Easter and into this Easter season with a, a blessing of hope, I suppose, Father. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think as as people will gain from the conversation we've had, uh, I love the, uh, the interdenominational aspect of the pro-life movement. Uh, we are one in the word. We are one in Christ. Mm -hmm. And even for those who do not believe in Christ, the risen Lord uh, wants to give you his life, his blessing. So, so may the Lord bless you. May he strengthen you. May his life and his enc encouragement shine upon you. May he always keep you safe and answer all your prayers. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Amen. Let us rejoice. Alleluia. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. This has been wonderful, and I look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you so much, Cameron. All right, folks, that was my conversation with Father Frank Pavone, the National Director for the Priest for Life um, of America, the largest pro-life ministry in the Catholic Church, and arguably one of the largest pro-life religious organizations in the entire world. I had such a blast talking with Father Frank. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation and hearing how he responds to many of the questions that, that we receive on street corners and on doorsteps about Christians and the role that Christians and Christian leaders have in making abortion unthinkable in Canada, in America, and around the world. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you check out our other programs, as I mentioned off the top, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, The Pulse, and, and the other odds and sods that we have here and about. I know that Peter did one on um, Biden's for, or pro-life Biden, pro-life supporters for Biden, something like that. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, um, but people who supported Biden and then were very, very offended when he did exactly what he promised to do in expanding abortion access in America and looking at ways to expand that around the world as well. And also an episode that I did recently about our culture's kind of twofold reflection on those living with Down syndrome um, and how we both accept and reject those living with Down syndrome. 
So check those out. You can find us, prolifeguys.com. You can also find our content and all your favorite um, podcast catchers, as well as on our YouTube page. We are getting more and more video content on there. So please do check us out, the Pro-Life Guys. Again, I will mention, please check out our Patreon page. Your generous support allows us to bring on guests like Father Frank Pavone, like um, having our incredible tech guys, both uh, Maddie, who's done the lion's share of our work um, editing and making Peter and I sound as best we possibly can, and also Attila, who's recently joined our team to be able to join us. Um, Yes, his name is Attila. He is not a time traveler. Um, That's his first name. He's a wonderful guy. I totally recommend getting to know him. And thank you very much again just for tuning in. I want to leave you with this note encouraging you to find ways to engage those around you, whether they're people in the public square, whether you're joining your local activism group for an activism event on a street corner or on a doorstep, or even if you're just talking to your friends, family members, or coworkers, is absolutely vital that people like you and I have conversations about abortion. So I hope that you learned something from this episode, and I hope that you tune in again next week. Thanks so much. Hope you have a great rest of your day, whatever time it is, and wherever you are. 